Justice Delayed is a true crime podcast. Episodes contain sensitive details related to homicide that may be triggering for some. Listener discretion is advised. On September 15, 2002, 19 years ago, Jennifer Servo got off work at the KRBC TV station in Abilene, Texas at 10.30 p.m. As she left work that Sunday evening to run errands with the Abilene colleague, she was looking forward to having the next three days off. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday were her weekend. Over the next few days, she had plans to hang out by the pool at her apartment complex with a girlfriend, and she may have had plans to see a movie. But that night after work, Jennifer had errands to run. She needed to pick up some items for her apartment, and she needed cat food for Mr. Binks. And oh wow, do I bet that the Abilene colleague wishes he hadn't decided to go along with Jennifer that night. If he had just gone straight home, maybe he would never have been mixed up in all of this. You know how the ripple effect works change one thing and a multitude of seemingly unrelated things also change. Maybe Jennifer would be alive today. Or maybe there wouldn't have been so much confusion over who committed this brutal murder. And maybe I wouldn't be here talking to you all these years later. Hi everyone. Welcome to Justice Delayed, the unsolved homicide of Jennifer Servo. This is Sharon. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 14, 60 Days, All the Details. You know, for years I've been telling you that I can't promise you that we're going to solve Jennifer's murder. And it's still true. But things are changing. Abilene, I implore you to get involved in this case. I'm begging you to help me spread the word that Jennifer's family needs resolution and her killer needs to be brought to justice. This shouldn't be a hard case to solve, and with new developments happening in the last six months, we're getting closer, but I'm still going to need your help. And although the Abilene Police Department may not want our help, they need it. I saw a Payne Lindsay tweet a few months ago, back in August 2021, actually. He said, quote, so many true crime podcasts, not enough of y'all knocking on doors though, unquote with a shrugging emoji after it. Let's show Payne Lindsay we can knock on some doors too. Because Jennifer needs justice, and so do you, Taylor County District Attorney James Hicks. So come along with me on my search for justice in the form of a murderer. Come on, let's go catch a killer. 19 years ago, on Sunday, September 15, 2002, when Jennifer woke up in the morning, she had less than 24 hours to live. But of course, she doesn't know that, so it's just a regular day to her. In the preview for this episode, I misspoke and said that Jennifer had the next two days off, but it was actually three days that she had off. She worked Thursday through Sunday, with Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off work. Jennifer had only lived in Abilene for a total of 61 days before she was murdered. You've heard me say that many times. 
Today, we're going to talk about Jennifer's last full day alive, day 60. But here's the crazy thing. We don't really know anything about what Jennifer was doing during the first part of her day. We know she went to work in the afternoon, and yet we don't even know what time that was. What we do know is that Jennifer and the Abilene colleague both worked the 10 p.m. newscast that Sunday night, and they left work together. They must have left immediately after the newscast finished, if not slightly before. Jennifer and the Abilene colleague planned to make two stops before returning to the Abilene colleague's apartment. So they left KRBC, driving separately, with one following the other. To refresh your memory, their first stop is at the home of an acquaintance to pick up a couple of items for Jennifer's apartment. Now, I still don't know the name of this acquaintance, and it's driving me crazy, but what we've learned about this stop so far is that Jennifer and the Abilene colleague were stopping by the residence of someone who had previously worked at the news station. It's still unclear to me whether this was someone that only the Abilene colleague knew, and that's why he was going along, or if Jennifer was also acquainted with this person. We don't know where this person lived, but we know that there really isn't much residential property along South 14th Street between KRBC and Winters Freeway, where Jennifer and the Abilene colleague would have turned to head towards Walmart. So regardless of where this acquaintance lived, it was at least slightly off the shortest route to Walmart. How far off? I'm working on that. If you turn left out of the KRBC parking lot, heading away from Winters Freeway and the Walmart on Southwest Drive, within a block or two, you'll come to a pretty little residential area with nice houses and fairly large front yards. If you head a little further down South 14th, the houses get a little smaller, but there are definitely a lot of options this direction for where this acquaintance might have lived. There are also several residential areas along the way to Walmart, as well as tucked in around the Walmart area. There are just too many options for where this person could have lived to even make a guess. There's a lot we don't know, including the exact time that Jennifer and the Abilene colleague left the news station. But let's run through a scenario where Jennifer and the Abilene colleague left KRBC at 10.30 p.m. exactly. We need to give them a minute or so to get to their respective cars. It's a pretty small parking lot. For comparison, I'd say it's a little bit bigger than your average fast food parking lot. So I would say a minute to get in their cars and start to pull out of the parking lot is about right. And I'm purposely being conservative here, so keep that in mind as we make our estimates today. And feel free to voice your opinion in the Justice Delayed podcast discussion group on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you think. There's a 10 or 12 foot tall chain link fence around the KRBC employee parking lot now, but it wasn't there in 2002. The fence was put in sometime after 2017, but prior to that, you could drive all the way around the entire building, and there was nothing to stop anyone from entering or loitering in the employee parking lot. Just keep that in the back of your mind for now. If Jennifer and the Abilene colleague had driven straight to Walmart, they would have arrived at the Walmart parking lot at about 10.37 p.m. with enough time to exit their vehicles and enter the store by about 10.38 p.m. This is nine minutes before they actually enter the Walmart, so that doesn't leave a lot of time for their first stop. Either the acquaintance lived incredibly close to the TV station, or Jennifer and the Abilene colleague left work before 10.30. Or maybe both. This scenario, where they leave work at 10.30 p.m., drive to the acquaintance's place, 
load a coffee table, a paper towel holder, and a banana stand into her car, and still arrive at Walmart in time to be spotted on surveillance video grabbing a cart at 10.46.53 is incredibly tight. I know we can all imagine a scenario in which this can happen. Sure, it can happen. But everything needs to go really smoothly for the timing to work. Given an exit time of 10.30 from the news station, they have just under 17 minutes until they're inside Walmart. And we know Walmart is about six minutes from KRBC. Subtracting one minute for them to get to their individual cars and pull out of the KRBC parking lot, like I said, and another minute to get both of their cars parked once they get to Walmart, get out, Jennifer needs to grab her purse from the front seat because she's seen carrying it on the surveillance video inside Walmart, walk to the front door and grab a shopping cart. That leaves nine minutes for them to drive from KRBC to the acquaintance's house or apartment, say hi, or not, maybe the items were left outside for them to pick up. But they still have to load up the items and head to Walmart. Or maybe the items were sitting outside and the acquaintance just waved to them from the front door. Or maybe they never saw that person at all that night. We just don't know how that went down exactly. And if the acquaintance lived on the way to Walmart, it increases the amount of time they had to make the stop because they're not having to double back. Honestly, this makes the most sense to me, but for now, we're left guessing. Is there a chance that Jennifer and the Abilene colleague left the station a little bit earlier than 10.30? I'm working on a couple of sources to see if that's a possibility. Now, obviously, this part of the timeline isn't important to the timing of Jennifer's murder since we have the timestamp of Jennifer entering Walmart at 10.46.53 p.m., but I still think it's important to figure out as much as we can about her last day. When I was in Abilene last September, I drove the route from KRBC to the Walmart on Southwest Drive, which is the Walmart they visited that night. Of course, I had to leave out the stop at the acquaintance's house because we're still trying to nail down that location. In the video, for some reason, I was having trouble remembering the exact time on the surveillance video, and I said I would double-check that for you. I did, and the exact time on the Walmart video is 10.46.53 p.m. We are driving down South 14th Street. Right now we are driving, um, it's as if we came out of KRBC and turned right onto South 14th. And we're driving from KRBC to Walmart because we kind of want to see how much time Jennifer and the Abilene colleague would have had to make it to the acquaintance's house and pick up the coffee table and the other items that she picked up that night. Trying to uh, narrow that time down, I did look it up on Google, Google Maps and it says it's about a six minute drive. Um, that's what my GPS said as well earlier today. Um, at one point it said four minutes. So it is 3.14 in the afternoon on a Friday. So this is probably Friday afternoon getting off work traffic. So uh, there's gonna be a lot less traffic um, when Jennifer and the Abilene colleague drove this. Um, that would have been on a Sunday night at about 10.30. Now, 10.30 p.m. The other thing that we don't know how to factor in here is which route they would have taken to Walmart. Um, when we turn this direction from KRBC, it's mostly businesses. You don't have much, if any, residential 
uh, between KRBC and where we are now. So, you know, just depending on where that acquaintance lived, they may have gone left out of the KRBC parking lot. And I tried that method uh, just a little bit ago, and it took quite a while. I had to drive quite a ways the other direction and into some neighborhoods before, it, before the GPS would reroute and tell me to go a different way than just in the end making a U-turn and coming back this way and calling this still the shortest way to Walmart. So with the short time frame we have between the time that Jennifer and the Abilene colleague left work that night and the time that we see them walking into Walmart on the surveillance video, um, I'm going to double check that time for you, but I know it's like 10.46 and 40 some seconds when they first walk in, uh, like 46 or, uh, so it's almost 10.47 when they walk in. And in this case, when we're in the next step where we're trying to um, determine how long they were in Walmart and how long they would have had at the Abilene colleague's apartment that night to have a conversation and um, still have her arriving home shortly after midnight. Um, since it's just a short period of time here, we, uh, we want to count all of the minutes and all of the seconds. They really kind of make a, a bigger determination because we're dealing with such a small window. So we're just coming along here. We're on the frontage road for the Winter's Freeway. And uh, we're just making our way down here. We're going to turn in on Catclaw. And I mean, we're literally almost at Walmart. I mean, it's uh, just up here past the discount tire. So it's obviously a very, very quick drive. Like I said, this was a Sunday night, so when they get to Walmart, they probably have pretty good parking, right? I was there earlier today, and it's fairly packed, so there's no good parking right now, but there should have been that night, and there's our street. They would have, if they took this, this route, they would have turned in here. Walmart in just a moment and they had enough time to come through here pull in get parked and walk into the Walmart by just less than 15 seconds before 10:47. so there are a couple of entrances there's I think one back there but this is the one that we took this time along here and as you can see the edge of Walmart there now I guess this is the first entrance to Walmart from that direction come down here to this stop sign and they would have gone in the grocery side I mean they they got groceries and cat food in this Walmart so many times now um, I didn't even look for cat food this last time 20 minutes ago when I was looking for snake boots, by the way, and um, Walmart fresh out of snake boots right now. Prime rattlesnake season, a lot of snake boots. Um, 
that's okay. So, um, <laughs> they would have probably just pulled in here. This is right, the door's to my right. They would have pulled in and parked in one of these first few spots. I mean, not these, these are handicapped. But um, at this point right here, you're starting to see uh, spaces that would have been open most likely at 10.30 on a Sunday night. So that's it, that's the whole trip to Walmart um, from KRBC. Like I said, there is the uh, stop at the acquaintances place. We don't know whether that was an, an apartment or a house. We don't know whether it was on the way to Walmart or you know they had to turn the other direction. It would have taken them a little longer. But we do know that that window is very tight and that they walk into Walmart just before 10.47 p.m. on Sunday, September 15th, 2002. So Jennifer and the Abilene colleague are seen walking into Walmart together with Jennifer a few steps ahead at 10.46.53 p.m. So it's almost 10.47. The Abilene colleague has dropped behind slightly in order to grab a shopping cart. By the way, you can see a still shot of the surveillance video on the homepage of my website at justicedelayedpod.com. Now it's 10.47 on a Sunday night. So although Jennifer had the next couple of days off, most people don't. I think it's a pretty safe guess that Walmart was relatively slow at 10.47 on a Sunday night. I've actually been to that Walmart at exactly 10.47 on a Sunday night, and it was indeed slow, and the parking lot was relatively empty. My point is that they probably would have been able to find two parking spots relatively close to the front door, making a one-minute estimate for them to get to the front door reasonable. So Jennifer and the Abilene colleague are at Walmart. We know that Jennifer purchased cat food, but we don't know what, if anything else, she purchased. We also know that the Abilene colleague got some groceries and that Jennifer later helped him upstairs with those groceries. In my opinion, that requires at least two bags of groceries. Not that two bags of groceries would require help, but it's pretty hard for someone to help you with one bag of groceries unless they carry it for you, which is possible, but also unlikely in this scenario. I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Abilene colleague had at least two bags of groceries that night. He did get a cart, but that doesn't mean he got a lot of groceries or that Jennifer did. I'm saying all this to say we have no idea how many grocery bags he had, and we also don't know how long they were in Walmart. That makes our timeline much more difficult to reconstruct, but we're gonna forge ahead anyway. So we don't know what time they left Walmart, but they obviously do, and they head for the Abilene colleague's apartment. It takes about five minutes to get from Walmart to his apartment. So Jennifer and the Abilene colleague pull into the Abilene colleague's apartment complex. We don't know where the Abilene colleague parked that night, but we do know where Jennifer parked. At least we know where the Abilene colleague told us that she parked. He said she parked right in front of the sidewalk that led to the stairs of his second floor apartment. He says she helped him upstairs with his groceries. They talked for a while about what we don't know. And then he either walked her to her car and gave her a kiss goodnight and watched her drive away, or he watched her from the railing to the side of his second floor apartment door as she walked to her car by herself and drove away. Quote, and that's the last I saw of her, unquote, he said to 48 Hours in 2008. And remember, there was also that purported conversation in the parking lot when they first arrived at the Abilene colleague's place about whether or not there had been a car following them between Walmart and the apartment. Did this conversation even happen? It wasn't reported to police until almost a week after Jennifer was found murdered. And if it did happen, 
Was it genuine? Or was the Abilene colleague trying to unnerve Jennifer for some reason? Gaslight her. If they were legitimately being followed that night, was it the Montana boyfriend keeping tabs on her? Or was it a local fan of either the Abilene colleagues or Jennifer's who just happened to see them in Walmart and followed them home, curious about where a local celebrity lived? We don't know that either, but what I'm getting at with all of this is how much time did Jennifer spend inside the Abilene colleague's apartment that night? We know they entered Walmart just before 10.47 p.m. We have to estimate the amount of time it took them to do their shopping and for both of them to check out but I'd say it couldn't have been less than 15 minutes. I don't think I've ever been able to get in and out of a Walmart in less than 15 minutes if I purchased anything. And everything takes longer when you're with someone than if you're just running in to do a quick errand on your own. We also know Jennifer had to go all the way to the back of the store in order to get the cat food. So in trying to figure out what happened between 10.47 p.m. and shortly after midnight when Jennifer arrives back at her apartment, it's tough because we don't know the exact time Jennifer arrived at her apartment either. What does shortly after midnight mean to you? I definitely think it means by 12.15 a.m., but it could also mean anything between 12.01 and 12.15, which when we're quite literally counting seconds here, is a lot of uncertainty. That said, we're trying to account for somewhere between an hour and 14 minutes and an hour and 28 minutes of time. For now, let's say it took them anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes inside Walmart. Then we'll allow another two minutes for them to put their purchases into their respective cars, maybe say, hey, I'll see you there, and pull out of the Walmart parking lot. As I mentioned earlier, the drive from Walmart to the Abilene Colleague's apartment is about five minutes. Once they arrived at the Abilene Colleague's apartment, they had to park, get the Abilene colleagues groceries, have a conversation about whether or not a car had been following them, and walk down a sidewalk for about 20 feet, turn 180 degrees toward the flight of stairs, walk up the flight of stairs, and unlock the apartment door. Having been to the site multiple times to see the layout, I'm guessing all this would take about three minutes on the conservative side. Remember, they're not in a hurry that night, and they have no idea that this is anything other than an ordinary evening. So two minutes to get out of their cars and pull away from Walmart, five minutes to drive to the Abilene colleague's apartment, and three minutes to get inside. That's 10 minutes. We also have to subtract the time it takes Jennifer to walk back out to her car afterwards and drive home. I think we can safely count 10 minutes for this, one minute to get from the apartment to her car, and nine minutes to drive back to her apartment. But let's circle back for a minute to the conversation Jennifer and the Abilene colleague supposedly had that night in the parking lot of the apartment complex about a car possibly following them. In Carlton Stowers' version of the story, the Abilene colleague sees what he thinks is the same car he had spotted earlier in the night, drive past the apartment complex, slow briefly, and speed away. In the alternating version, it's Jennifer who says she thinks they're being followed. The Abilene colleague says he dismissed it, so this conversation may not have taken more than 30 seconds. But whether that conversation occurred in the parking lot, or even occurred at all, doesn't make a lot of difference to the timeline. It does, however, make a lot of difference in terms of a suspect, but we'll get to that in another episode. Along that same line, though, we know that Jennifer had shown an article about news reporters who had been stalked to a colleague just a week before her death. So even if she wasn't being followed or stalked, 
We know that she was well aware of the possibility and likely a vigilant observer of her surroundings as a result. And don't forget, she was a trained soldier. But getting back to the timeline, depending on how long their shopping took that night and on what time Jennifer actually arrived back at her apartment and subtracting out a minute for Jennifer to walk from the Abilene colleague's apartment to her car and drive the nine minutes home, we're left with somewhere between 8 and 52 minutes that Jennifer might have spent inside the Abilene colleague's apartment that night. So what happened between the Abilene colleague and Jennifer in those 8 to 52 minutes? What did they talk about? The Abilene colleague said that's when they made plans to see a movie on the following evening. But did they? Or had Jennifer finally told him that she just wanted to be friends? If it was just eight minutes, is that long enough for Jennifer to have told the Abilene colleague that she just wanted to be friends? I'm going to say yes. And if you've ever been dumped or had someone tell you that they just want to be friends with you, you know I mean it when I say eight minutes would have been excruciatingly long to the person getting dumped. And that's if Jennifer arrived home exactly at 12.01 a.m., which of course we don't know. No less than three people close to Jennifer say she told them that she just wanted to be friends with the Abilene colleague and that she was planning to tell him that. So why, even after her murder, is he still telling everyone that they were dating and that he kissed her that Sunday night before she drove away? I mean, granted, it could have been a peck on the cheek, but he's not more specific, so we don't know. So did Jennifer lose her nerve that night and decide not to tell him yet? Or did she follow through and tell him that very night in his apartment after helping him upstairs with his groceries? According to Jennifer's friends and family, once Jennifer set her mind to something, there was no changing it. Jennifer was seen as tough by her friends, not someone to shy away from a difficult conversation. We also know Jennifer was kind, and she'd said she didn't want to hurt the Abilene colleague's feelings because she cared about him as a friend. I know you've all heard me say several times that I find it really odd that they would go to the Abilene colleague's apartment that night and that Jennifer would help the Abilene colleague carry his groceries upstairs when she had a coffee table in her back seat that also needed to go up a flight of stairs. But maybe it's not so strange after all. Maybe Jennifer wanted to go back to the Abilene colleague's apartment so she could talk to him about just wanting to be friends. Maybe she thought it would be better to do it at his place so she could leave when she was ready. In a way, having this conversation at the Abilene colleague's apartment placed Jennifer in a position of power, and I'll bet she knew that. This scenario makes the grocery situation make a lot more sense to me. But what do you think? Given the way Jennifer described her feelings about the Abilene colleague to her friends, was there ever an actual boyfriend-girlfriend relationship there? Or was there just that singular kiss in the weather center that Jennifer told a friend she regretted, as reported on the ID channel's Still a Mystery? More on that in an upcoming episode. As for the timeline, all these calculations are assuming that the timestamp on the Walmart video is correct. I mean, I'm not trying to borrow trouble here, and I've never read or heard anything questioning the timestamp, but you never know. This takes us up to 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, September 15, 2002. Regardless of what happened in the Abilene colleague's apartment that night, Jennifer is probably on her way home, or just about to be. There are two main routes that Jennifer can take back to her apartment. They both take nine minutes, but one goes through town via the highway, 
while the other takes her along the outskirts of town, down a dark 3.4-mile stretch of Dubright Boulevard that has very few houses or businesses even today. This would be a pretty isolated route to take near midnight on a Sunday night, and if Jennifer had thought someone might have been following them earlier, there's no way she would have taken this route home. It's just too desolate. Of course, we can't know what Jennifer was thinking about as she drove home that night. Was she tired and anxious to get home? Or was she wide awake and looking forward to finally relaxing for a few hours before bed? Either way, she has no idea that she'll soon be in a fight for her life against someone she knows. Someone who is about to pay her a late night visit. Next time on Justice Delayed. To the Montana boyfriend and the Abilene colleague, I'm still waiting on those cell phone records. If those records clear you, I know you kept them. I think you know by now that this isn't going to end until Jennifer's case is solved. I'll be at CrimeCon in Vegas next week, so if you're there, stop me and say hello. After that, I'm flying to Texas, and I'll be in Abilene, knocking on some more doors. So I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, brainstorm with me. Help guide this investigation by sharing your thoughts and ideas, and listen along as I conduct this sometimes brave, definitely challenging, but mostly heartbreaking investigation into Jennifer's murder. Keep spreading the word about Jennifer's case and about this podcast. The more people that listen, the more chances we have to get that one tip that will solve Jennifer's murder. A lot can change in 19 years. Follow us on Twitter at Justice Delayed P and on Instagram at Justice Delayed Pod. There's some exclusive content on my social media that you won't see anywhere else. If you have a tip about this case, contact the Abilene Police Department at 325 673 8331 or call Crime Stoppers at 325-676-TIPS. You can also find those phone numbers on my website at justicedeleadpod.com. You can also call me. My anonymous tip line is 210-836-8680. If you've given a tip to anyone in the past and you feel like no one really followed up on it, let me know. You don't have to be on the podcast, and you can remain anonymous. Like I said, this isn't going to end until Jennifer's case is solved. So join me again in two weeks as I actively search for justice in the form of a murderer. Remember to participate in the brainstorming, send me suggestions for leads to pursue, and ask questions all on our Facebook discussion group. Or just follow along as I try not to get into too much trouble. And don't forget to tell your friends to listen. Tell everyone you know. Come on, Abilene, let's do this. Let's go catch a killer. Justice Delayed was written and produced by me. All opinions offered are my own. I want to say thank you to Jennifer's family. Without their support, this podcast wouldn't exist. All music for this episode is provided by Lee Rosevere. You can find his music at happypuppyrecords.ca. Our logo was created by Caitlin Spencer. My sources for this episode are detailed in the show notes. Our success depends on your participation, so remember to send in any leads you think I should pursue or any questions you have about the case. This is Sharon, and I'll be back.